Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 19th year. As Indiana's only weekly community radio show, committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening, I'm Liz Mitchell. Welcome to Black History Month. It is our pleasure to recognize and celebrate two of Bring It On's very own who have done outstanding things, not only as long-running anchors for Bring It On, but also for the city of Bloomington. Yes, they are the, the glue that has held Bring It On together, and their voices have resonated in the hinterlands of Monroe County and beyond. Uh, when Bring It On launched in 2005, Jim Sims was the first co-anchor along with Delia Alexander. Jim was employed at Indiana University. Uh, he was in residential programs and services for 31 years and additionally served as council liaison to the City of Bloomington Utilities, among other council board commission and committee appointments. He served as president of the Monroe County NAACP and as chair for Second Baptist Church trustee board. Jim is the second African-American to ever serve on Bloomington City Council, where he has also served as council president and at large representative. Jim, thank you for your service. Yes, thank, thank you, you very Jim. much. Thank you. Beverly Calendar Anderson has enjoyed a long tenure as one of the distinctive voices as an anchor for Bring It On. For more than 18 years, Beverly has served the city of Bloomington in the Community and Family Resources Department. First, as Safe and Civil Cities Director, nine plus years, and then as Director uh, then as Department Director of Community and Family Resources, nine plus years. She is a long-term leader in the community through her roles with the City of Bloomington and countless other community-based roles, boards, and commission. She serves as an inspiration to women in local government and the social services. She leads humbly, but firmly. She encourages creative solutions to new problems. She mentors and supports others. She is willing to go above and beyond her job description to serve our community. Many of her recognitions in 2021, she was bestowed the distinction as a Women Excel Bloomington honoree. Wow, Beverly, and I'm sure you won a lot of other awards, too, in recognition, but thank you so much for your service to Bloomington. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we're happy to have them here. Um, both uh, I'm honored, I'm speechless, because uh, Liz and I could just turn this show over to you. You've done it enough, and you both can anchor. Actually, Liz, let's do that. Well, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jim and Bev, welcome to Bring It On. And thank you for uh, carving some time out, even in, I would say, in the uh, sort of semi-retirement state that you both are in, you'll never retire. We both know that. Uh, you probably have full active, busy schedules already. But tell us, uh, what's the secret? How do you juggle so many hats for, for, for so long and find it fulfilling? Because obviously you wouldn't continue to do it if it weren't fulfilling to you. But, but what's the secret? Tell us, please. Well, as a gentleman, I was raised to um, allow ladies first. So I would defer to my sister, Beverly. <laughs> well, th th thank you, Jim. Thank you for calling me a lady. Uh, <laughs> I, well, first of all, I am not semi-retired. I am still working. 
um, and plan to retire at the end of March. And so um, currently I'm still working. But I think when you do what you love, uh, you find space for it. And I think that um, whether it has been my work with the organizations like PEO or United Methodist Women or boards that I serve on, um, like New Hope for Families or the Bloom Advisory Board. I, you know, I, I love those, all of those things. And they all um, focus on improving life for people living in Bloomington, not only my job, but also those, those boards and commissions and I'm, I'm sorry, boards and um, civic organizations um, focus on improving life for, for people that I live with, my neighbors and my friends. And so um, for me, I find time for that. And what I'd like to say is, first of all, 19 years. Wow. Wow. I'm <laughs> sorry for right? a little aged. Um, yeah. But um, with the bio that you read, thank you so much for all of that. But probably the thing that was left out, which I consider probably the most important job, is to be the husband of Doris for the last 45 years. So uh, I just want to add that. Um, and I am retired. Um I'm not semi-retired as of January 1st, I am retired. Um, but I still uh, participate in the NAACP. I still do some community uh, work. Um, I'm a member of Rotary where we do service projects. So um, I'll agree with Beverly. You tend to find time to do things that you enjoy doing, that you desire to do. And uh, I just feel good about helping um, this community. Um, I also strongly believe that uh, mostly what we do is a young person's game, so to speak. So as I get older and older, then I'll do less and less more, at least on the public platform, um, but I'll still be working behind the scenes. So, um, and good to be here this evening. It took you long enough to get me here, Clarence. <laughs> well, you know, I know, I'm sorry to check files, Jim, and, and we sent it out again. And, you know, the chauffeur was late getting to your apart. I mean, your house, and so we're sorry. Please forgive us. Yeah, no, that's okay. And before you get to the meat of everything, I will say uh, this is unscripted, unrehearsed, and unfiltered. So it it could get pretty interesting <laughs> before it's over with. So, <laughs> so, uh, uh, on that note, I will get the second list of questions. <laughs> it, it, it's okay until we got to the unfiltered part. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, what I'm in, what I'm interested in is what um, I know you want to continue with your boards and stuff, possible that you're on. But what is it that you like to do that you haven't done during your working time? Now you've got this free time, loads of free time. <laughs> what What is it that you see in your future of doing that you think you might want to do? Well, I will. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that just won't be near as time consuming, for example, city council. Um, yeah. And to be a member of city council, that also comes with it. Uh, the assignments of serving on at least three or four other boards or commissions throughout the city. Um, so there's still things that we'll do. I like uh, trying to support children. So I do work and support the Boys and Girls Club. Um, we're trying right now through NAACP to, to work on providing scholarships for our young folks um, that are looking for higher education. So that's something that I'll, I'll continue to work on. Um, and just to add a little bit of flavor to all this, you know, uh, when you do so much work, and which it was a joy for me to do, what I did lose was several strokes off my golf game. 
So I'll have time now to recoup those and, and work a little bit. Um, and my son started playing, so I'll, I'll spend more time enjoying the game playing with him. So thank you for asking this or, or saying that. Were we seeing in the, the Masters uh, tournament um, or or where, where you had next? Because, you know, you used to play highly, if not win, city tournaments uh, back in the day. Now, will you resume uh, playing in, in the city tournaments? Um, the short and quick, yes. Good. Okay. <laughs> yes. Beverly, how about you? Well, you know, so I am committed to my to my board service with New Hope for Families, and and like Jim is committed to children. All, all most of my work outside of uh, my paid profession is around women and children, um, and so New Hope for Families will be one. PEO is an organization that provides scholarships for women um, for higher education, um, and so I'll be I'll be doing that. And that's something that sometimes I haven't been able to be as involved in as I'd like to continue my work with uh, NAACP, um, uh, United Methodist Women. Uh, but I tell everybody that for the first three months, I will be on my couch watching Madlock in the heat of the night and Murder, She Wrote. And so <laughs> I, <laughs> that that at least is um, part of the plan, but also spending more time with my family. My My parents are in the Chicago area. And so I do plan to spend a lot more time with them than I've been able to. So that would be good. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Okay. As you uh, reflect back over really to, to the two of you, two stellar careers, um, you know, you've fought the fight, you've been in the trenches, um, you've championed causes, you've, well, sometimes you, you may have lost some battles, but uh, you support truth to power at every turn. And for that, we're all proud of you. And thank you. What was, to each of you, what was your most proudest moment of service to the city of Wilmington? Jim, we'll start with you. Oh, um, there are so many um, from serving on the Board of Public Safety and um, helping to guide and oversee Bloomington Fire Department and Bloomington Police Department. Um, but I'd say probably one of the most influential or helpful positions was being elected uh, to Bloomington City Council. Um, I was always been amazed that of our bicentennial history, which is over 200 years, that I was just the second person to serve on that body. Um, <laughs> second African and and while we're there, I'll give a shout out to the first African American, which was Paul Swain Jr. Um, if folks remember that, and I always try to give him a shout out. Um, but yes, to be on that platform and to have a voice that was part of the legislation of of local and city government. I think was very, very important. Um, it is very difficult, I think, in particular for black and brown people to be the first of anything. Um, I think of people like Snooky, um, the first black fireman. I think of, you know, uh, Jennifer Crossley. I think of Judge Vi. Um, so I just want everyone to understand how difficult that really is. Um, we, we get recognized for it, but trust me, to, to be the first black president of city council, definitely came with challenges um so and that's that's where we are there so yeah 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 i'm like jim so many things um i think the collaborations that we've been able to facilitate bringing people to the table who um may have some similar missions but weren't working together um and and that's all across the board it especially was true uh during the pandemic where we were able to bring social service agencies together, not only to serve our community, but to support one another. 
um, when we were challenged and, and, and nobody had a blueprint for this. And so um, I think that is, is one of the things uh, being the, the person to facilitate those collaborations and those meetings and some of, of which are still going on um, uh, make me proud. I think where we've taken our heritage month celebrations in the city uh, Black History Month, Fiesta del Otoño, Asian Pacific Islander Month, um, from like one hour event, one day, actually, I, you know, for some of them, we didn't have anything, to now Black History Month is six events this month and um, has become a, a tradition in the city that people look forward to. Um, but I think the most, imp- I, I don't know if this is my proudest, but I think it's the most important thing that I've done is to open city government to voices of color, whether that was through interns, whether that was through people knowing that they had representation and could come to my office if they had a a concern or a complaint, Um, seeing more people uh, of color working in City Hall now. When I started, there were two. Um, There was me, and and because at that time, uh, Doris, who had been there, Doris Sims, had left. And so there was me and there was a woman in our legal department um, to now watching our police and fire and administration staff grow uh, with more people of color, not just Black people, but Black, Latina, Asian um, people grow. So I think that, and I was, I, I, now I'm thinking about it, the creation of our land and labor's um, acknowledgement uh, was something that we worked really hard on too, to just recognizing that the land that we sit on and the labor that it took for us to get here came from Black and brown bodies. Uh, and and that and that we acknowledge that at all of our public meetings and um and and give honor to those people whose land we are now occupying. And so yeah, so I mean, and those are just a few. I'm sure there are some other things that that we've done, but um, but I think you know, getting more people involved in government, watching our interns go into public office or go into to um, public service, not necessarily elected office, but um, yeah, that's been a good thing. Well, if if you don't mind, if I can just squeeze in in here. Um, Another thing that I would like to add is that in 2020, um, as a member of city council, we had a resolution number 20-06, and it was denouncing and condemning white nationalism and white supremacy. Um, As you all know, we had a few issues at um, Farmer's Market um, and some community uh, issues, for lack of a better term. Um, historically, we've had some issues with law enforcement. We've had some issues with um, just our sheer lack of numbers. So, and I think this was very, very important. Um, I drafted this resolution with the help of two other city council members, um, Kate Rosenbarger and, and Matt Flaherty, along with some community members. Uh, that resolution was passed unanimously by the entire city council and strongly supported by the John Hamilton administration. Um, and all those folks there. And I think, um, it, did it change a lot of people's thoughts? Some. Did it change the way we operate? Yeah, maybe a little. But I think what it did do is set the tone for how city government and how we in Bloomington will handle such of these things and uh, how inclusive we intend to be. So uh, I just wanted to get that in. I thought that was a very, very important uh, piece from a local government standpoint. Yeah, thank you, Jim. I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you so much. I had a quick follow-up. Uh, Beverly, you said something interesting, uh, land and labor. And and for years, it was my understanding of the footprint where showers, the structure now sits. Was that formerly a Black community or majority Black community? 
and Jim, you're, you can chime in also. I mean, you, you both know the history. Uh, I know the neighboring area um, along 8th and 7th was at one point uh, uh, a budding Black community. And uh, showers may have hired many of the Black folk, but it, the, the, where the land, the footprint is, was that a Black neighborhood? And, and Beth, if you want to start off with that. I can't really speak to the to the actual neighborhood. I know the surrounding area was black, which also uh, created the workforce for the Showers Furniture Company. And so many of the workers that that worked there came from that surrounding neighborhood and could walk um, because, you know, and they and they hired black people. I don't know before that actual structure was built, though. I'm not sure what that was. I don't have that information. Jim, any insights on that? I, I do not. Um and I has I don't I'm not hesitant to speak, um, but I also know we have probably one of the most astute historians um, on this call here. So um, I, I just want to make sure. Um, but one thing that I know is sure is that the near west side that was probably the largest black population. It wasn't total um, black, but probably the largest. Um, and as you know, with housing, we had a lot of uh, uh, cover or restrictions on the covenants and deeds and that was one of the places um, that you could go i listened to a, a, a speech one time or a discussion and apparently people think that a lot of the black people in the near west side worked at the showers brothers furniture company and i've since found out that that really isn't the truth um and what when they did work there was more menial if you want to use that term uh, positions and custodians. So it wasn't, didn't employ near as many black folks as uh, folks would try to have you believe historically. Um, but yes, uh, that was, I lived over there right across from the Banneker Center for, you know, it must have been 40 years ago because Doris was pregnant with our son. Um, and there was community. There was the Elks. There was other things. So there was a sense of community. Um, but with 4% or less of black folks, I, you know, I'm hesitant to say there was ever a, majority community of black people. Uh, Clarence, to answer your question, the Showers building relocated to where it is now because the original site, it, the building burnt. And that was uh, closer to Grant Street in that area in a black community called Bucktown. Now, uh, blacks didn't name it Bucktown. That's a derogatory term created by the dominant race, but of surrounding that area, blacks lived east and anywhere they wanted to. Uh, a lot of Blacks lived on the east side surrounding showers. A lot of Blacks had their own businesses. They were painters and lawn care, uh, barbers, cooks. They didn't, like Jim said, uh, few worked there, few worked at IU, but there was a variety of jobs that they had. Uh, most of them owned their own homes. The Abama house, uh, his mother and father, Robert and Louise, they built that house in 1927. I am so excited. Thursday, I went around and I found the four Black communities that used to be in existence here in Bloomington, in Monroe County. Uh, Bucktown I knew about, knew where it was, but I found Chandlersville on Thursday and Hensonburg and the Woods. The Woods was a surprise. I thought it was on Woodyard. It's out here past us, Jim Sims. So <laughs> I was, I'm going, What? So I'm really excited about redoing the walking tour and including stuff that was left out. And, um, you know, the, the small black population here in Bloomington, boy, if we could get the stories out, awesome. Small, but mighty and still that way. 
you know, you know, Beverly, um, it's very apparent that with your sensitivities, I know you were consulted regularly um, by some of the former mayors. I can I can speak for for two uh, on issues pertaining to um, enhancing the black community, addressing things that have, as they say, jumped off or whatever. Um, how did it feel to be in, in such an advisory role, uh, knowing that they intently listen and acted upon your words? Um, how, how humbling or, or how embold, emboldening was that? Um, hmm, that's an interesting question. Um, <laughs> I think neither, actually, Clarence. I, I, you know, I always felt... Um, well, I felt honored, one, let me say that, that uh, someone would come to me to ask my opinion. But I also felt a responsibility to the community that my opinion was not the only only opinion. Um, and so many times that's where that collaboration comes in. When I talk about bringing people to the table, um, you know, one year, we well, a couple of years, we would bring all of the um, folks that work in the area of DEI, like the head of the Black Culture Center, the person at... Uh, Cook, that was the DEI person, Ivy Tech. I mean, we brought all of those folks together um, to just sort of form a consortium and to have a support group of DEI people so that we were getting the interest of the universities and the community college and the businesses along with the city, and then we could make some informed decisions. And so um, it has been, for me, it's it's actually been an honor to work now under three mayors, um, all very different, but all who um, really have a love for the city and the community. Um, and so, you know, I think it, I just took it as a real responsibility to make sure that I was being representative of the community and not just of my, of the Black community uh, and not just of myself. And so, yeah, I would reach out to other people just to make sure I was on target before, you know, doing a lot of things. But yeah. Yeah. Well, Beverly, I want to bring up when I first met you and I didn't realize it's been at least 20 years. It's been at least 25. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, 20. Yeah. Because I, you were one of the first people I met when I came. Right. Here. Yeah. Right. And I don't know if you remember the conversation we had um, that. People said, how do you feel about moving to a community where there was no Blacks? Where there were no Black people. Exactly. Yes, yeah. I do. Yeah. yeah, I remember that like it was yesterday. Yesterday, 25 years ago. <laughs> but anyway, with that being said, is that how you feel like you said you, you, were, you remembered who you are, that you were representing all of us? Because here at that time, you probably believe what they said. That well, there were, I mean, that, and that we was... Yeah, my husband and I were told, you know, we had to be one another's best friends because there were no other Black people in Bloomington. And and we were just like, yeah, there's a university here. You just don't know the other Black people in Bloomington because it wasn't a Black person that was telling us this. Um, and so um, I, I think like most people that come here, especially if they're not connected to the university, I had to make my community. And so... Um, I, re you know, reached out. I, I I don't even know how I met some people. I, I remember how I met you, but you and then there was Dr. Larry Hanks that I met that you all were like the absolute first people I met. And I met Gwen Jones. And so we just started doing things together in book clubs and they would introduce me to other people. Um, 
and and so I knew that there there were other black people, but what I did know, and and I tell you who else I met was Reverend Butler, and he was very instrumental um, in in my initiation to the community. Um, is that if if people don't see you, they don't think you're there, and so it was part of my I think internal mission to make sure that black people were seen, to make sure that that people knew not only were we here, but we were a really vital part of this community. Bethel and, and Second Baptist, I mean, you know, these are cornerstones of our community and they're Black churches. And how do you tell me as a white pastor that there are no Black people in Bloomington? You know, I mean, so it just it just meant that, you know, that we weren't being seen. And so hopefully the time that I've been with the city and the city wasn't my first job. in Bloomington I, right. when I first went in Girl Scouts. Um, but hopefully in all of those roles, I've had the opportunity to make sure that we were not only represented, but that we were seen. Yeah, thank you. And you did a good job. Thank you so much. Thank you, ma'am. If you've just joined us, uh, you're listening to Bring It On. And our guests today are Jim Sims, who uh, was one of the first co-wakers for Bring It On. And uh, also worked at Indiana University for a number of years, more like 31 plus years. Ooh. He additionally served, yes, yeah, so we're going to name a building after it. He additionally <laughs> served as a council liaison to the city of Bloomington, uh, utilities. Uh, he's gone on to be president of the Monroe County NAACP. Um, he is the second African-American to enter to ever serve on Bloomington City Council and had ascended to the level of council president and that large representative. But his crowning glory, as we have heard here today, is being married to the lovely Doris Sims. <laughs> And on, on the other and on the other side, we have Beverly Calendar Anderson, a transplant from the South Side of Chicago. That's right, that's right. And uh, <laughs> and and brought the South Side with her, and uh, has has spiced us up with the South Side of Chicago at every turn, and has has used her own wit and and discerning powers uh, to forge collaborations, to build bridges, to de-escalate situations. Uh, and has served well in, in the capacity in uh, the Community and Family Resources Department, first as the Director of Safe and Civil Cities for over nine years, and then as Director of that department for over nine years. She's extremely active in the community, um, has her, her handprints, both of their handprints are everywhere. And uh, I am extremely proud of both of these individuals. Uh, they They volunteer with me and and both launching and sustaining Bring It On. Uh, I have knots upside my head for, for being chastised by both of them. And I have listened on occasion, not all the time, but uh, I have listened and have been well served. Yes, I have. I have. I see, I see that. Anyway, um, let's, let's turn now to Bring It On because um, we just lost a voice the other day, Joe Madison, uh, who was known as the Black Eagle. Joe Madison came and spoke at an NAACP dinner. Mm-hmm. And consented to be uh, interviewed by Bring It On. And I will start looking. I did not have time to find the audio, but Joe Madison, we interviewed him. But what a voice. Uh, and what a void. Um, as you look back over the, the numerous years, are there other guests that we had the chance to, to interview um, that come to mind? I know Jesse Jackson, for you, uh, that was probably one. Or... or um, um, uh, well, Bernie Jordan is one, but are there other guests, Jim? Uh, you as well. So I'll open it up first to Bev and then Jim. I want well, to know, hear you here. You know, you got my top two with Vernon Jordan and, and Jesse Jackson. Um, 
just thinking about their their places in history, how they were already on that path, um, you know, when I was probably born. Uh, so that was th- those were great. Um, I think one of the things I remember is our coverage of the Genesis trials um, and having uh, someone that was on the ground there and and bringing them in and talking about that. Um, yeah, I re- I remember that well, very well. And then all of the MLK Day speakers, like, yeah, right. they've been awesome. And 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 you, of course, uh, were instrumental in getting um, the one bishop that wrote a letter, an open letter. Yes, Bishop Woody White, yes. Uh, we read his letter, and we also, if I'm not mistaken, we did interview him as well, right? Or yeah, we? we interviewed him as well. Oh, he was yeah. one of our MLK Day speakers one year. Um, he has since stopped writing those letters, which I, I you know, his just his health and his eyesight uh, don't allow it. But I, I do still have all the ones that he wrote. And so that was, those were really interesting. That was, those were great. Yeah. Jim. Well, um, aside, you know, aside the times we interviewed Doris, I mean, okay, yes. Well, no, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> um, and I, I have to admit, it is very difficult for me to, re- I mean, we've done so many. Um, I remember the, the, uh, Black Legislative Caucus and those members. Um, wow, we've, we've just talked to so many folks. But what I thought was important, um, the platform that Bring It On brought, um, African American News for South Central India, you know, that. <laughs> but it's the platform to share information uh, for, by, and about Black people with the wider community. And I thought that was very, very important. Um, those that didn't know understood that uh, the black population and people of color is not a monolith. Um, that we may have the same skin color, but we have very vastly different experiences um, and how we got to where we are. So I think that was probably the thing that um, sticks with me the most. And not only that, I was working at the time. So uh, the show started at six. I didn't get off till five and then I just rushing, rushing. And, um, but I had such a great time and the folks that we work with, not only they're at the station, um, but I think it went a long way in helping to even further build community uh, and build relationships. Um, and I thought that was really, really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. have to agree with, with you on that one. Um, you've mentioned uh, the, the, the people that you interviewed, uh, that, you know, your top in- interview people. In, in the city work that you've done, what would you advise young people coming up? Now, I know you've probably already done this, but what would you tell the young people taking your place, especially if they're of color? What good advice would you give them? Ben? Go ahead, Jim. Go, go ahead. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things is, and I, you know, I'll tell young folks, I said, you know, I'm not going to tell you what I've heard. I'm going to tell you what I know. Um, but that's just part of how I adapted. I think building relationships and reaching out to folks is very, very important. Um, and, and there might even be a little bit of having to adapt. Um, I mean, we mentioned Beverly being from the South side of Chicago and how she brings some of those, um, tendencies for lack of a better term with her. Um, I will tell you that there are some parts of South Chicago that Beverly's aware of that you ain't never seen and you might not see <laughs> for a while. Um, but even myself growing up, and we've talked a lot about Dr. Martin Luther King um, and, and some of the civil rights movements and some of the, the nonviolence. I grew up a Malcolm X fan. 
Uh, my thing is, if you bring me violence, and that's what I'm going to give you. It wasn't passive. It wasn't nonviolent. Uh, I'm nonviolent if you're nonviolent toward me. But you learn to adapt over time. And it's about finding a happy medium, about building relationships. Um, and then I think when you have a, a network of allies and strong advocates and, and, of course, Black people in our population, now you're able to make some fundamental and serious changes um, or at least get them started. So that would be my advice. Just, you know, just sit back, learn, participate. Um, it, it's very much more inclusive now than it ever has been. And I think that's an advantage, too. So it's kind of easy to be involved if one chooses to do that. So just get involved, be a part of the community, the fabric of our community, and um, never forget the task at hand. And that is our freedom, if you will. Yeah. I think one of the, the pieces of advice I would give someone is, is the advice someone gave me. And is if you don't care who gets the credit, you can get a lot done. Like that the work that we do is not about you. It's not about you personally. It's not about um, any awards or achievements or, or thing, recognitions that you get, but it's about the work. And um, if you can um, go about that work and go about, you know, uh, uh, what, whatever it is that you do that is is your passion or your mission and not worry if somebody else gets the credit or you don't get the credit or you don't get the award, then you will go so far. People will go so far if they don't worry about that. And I understand that, you know, awards and, and those kind of things are are important to some people, but they also will come. When you stop worrying about getting them, they it will come. And so that would be my biggest piece of advice. <clears throat> All right. Thank you. Clarence? Oh, to both of you, Jim, you, you were at Indiana University and you knew the climate, the culture there. Uh, Bev, there were times that you had to roll up both sleeves and then work in that community to, to help forge collaborations and build bridges. And, um, and you met, you met a lot of new people and, and forged some good friendships over there. Um, the coexisting of these two superpowers, if you will, IU and the city of Bloomington, do you feel it's uh, at its best point right now or, are there places where we need to improve or are we are improving or would you recommend? Um, I'll jump in. I think um, of my, of course, we're, we're all Indiana University graduates, my family. Um, so that time, along with my employment time, um, my Lord's getting close to 40 years, if you combine all those. And Indiana University and the city of Bloomington's relations is so much better and different now than it was back then. Right. Um, a lot of the history of many people, if I mention some things, they would not remember them. Mm -hmm. um, but IUPD, for an example, there was no IUPD when I came to school. There was this group called IU Safety. Um, it wasn't an accredited police department, um, but they had young, I don't even remember any African-Americans, but young uh, majority population folks with weapons on their side that were right. part of safety, not not police. Um, so those were some of the issues that, that we had to deal with on campus. But I think um, I was fortunate enough to, from Frank Motley, get a town and gown award. Um, and it wasn't for anything specifically other than trying to, to reach one hand into the community, the other into the, the campus, and do what we can to bridge that gap a little bit. Um, 
and not only did I did do NAACP and these sorts of things, uh, I never used to participate in city stuff and fundraiser and all these get-togethers. My wife used to do that stuff. Um, but then I kind of gravitated toward that while I was on campus. Um, I was a member of the Black Faculty and Staff Caucus. Um, I, I was an elected delegate for the Professional Staff Council um, on campus. Uh, helped the Wiggins form the Groups Alumni Association, as you're well aware of, Clarence. Um, I'm a lifetime member of the Indiana University Alumni Association. So I think those are the type of things when you take uh, that information and those uh, um, activities from one to the other, um, then we both learn more about each other. Um, so, yeah, it's much better now than it used to be. And I uh, hope I've had a small, small part to play in that. Yeah, I came in about 25 years ago. And I tell you, there was a period for me, and when I, I think specifically for people of color, when Mike Davis was basketball coach, Adam Herbert was chancellor, uh, Charlie Nelms was over at DEMA. I, we was running stuff. Uh, you know, and and I really felt like that time in in the history of IU and city relationships since I've been there for people of color was probably the best time that I've seen. Um, I will give Charlie Gnomes a shout out for all that he tried to do to bridge the town gown gap. Um, I see that some of that reverting now. I don't see as much town gown collaboration. Um, I think it will come. I, you know, my department's done a lot of work with the culture centers on campus and and we still continue to try to do that. But I think when you get above that staff level and you get into the administrative level, it, it goes back and forth. But, but the the issue is IU probably could not exist here without the city and the city couldn't exist without IU. And there you go. You know, we need to just get that together and and do better. Just do better. You know, and I think at the higher level, administrative levels of the university, they were more involved with the city. And I'm thinking of people like Joe Russell, um, Carmel Russell, Jimmy Ross, um, back when we had the Elks Lodge or the Benevolent Order of the Elks, better known as the whole. But people would, uh, there'd be those relationships. So there was like, they go across city lines, if you will, and they were part of the community. Um so I thought that was very important back in those days, too. And I think that's lacking, um, at least compared compared to then. Um, yeah. And now we still have, a, I mean, we've got people like Dr. Glow um, at, the, at the Culture Center who's really picking that up. Nancy Cross. There's many others that are still doing it. But I remember back in those days, and it's like we lost those. Um, but then I saw the look on Beverly's face. It was like, man, well, we're still we're, we're still doing pretty decent. Well, we're I mean, just I a different different group of people. So. Yeah. What I was going to say though is, it's interesting to think about how progress has has sort of broken up the the connectivity of the black community because when people came and didn't and there were not rooms and dorms for black students and they had to live in houses and they and 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 so they were nurtured by people who lived in the community the community was much more cohesive but with but with that progress we have to change how we do things and how yes. how that cohesion works and so um it, so progress is not a bad thing progress is good um and and all the inclusion and diversity efforts are good but it just means that we have to change how we how we do things. And so if there's not a hole anymore, the hole's not there anymore, how do we gather people? How do we bring folks together and what do we do? And and there have been a lot of efforts over the time, uh, you know, when and we've done it. And I think 
that we'll keep trying, you know, especially as more African-American grad students are living in town and wanting to gather and come together. Yeah. And they'll just do it differently than what we did, but, but it'll get done. Well, that was the, my, my next question to you is, well, it's probably a two-parter. Do we need something like the whole again? Do we need a gathering place to give the uh, comfort and nurture? Do we still need that or something similar to it? And then why is Bloomington a good place for black and brown people? Jim, you want to answer me, please? And then Beverly? Oh, you know, I still have friends that wonder why I live in Bloomington, Indiana to this day. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Folks that have come here to go to school and they've left um, because they're they're just not comfortable with the numbers. Um, But I also think that, um, well, I'll answer the second part of your question first. Um, I'm not so sure who said that Bloomington is a good place for Black people. Um, I'd say Bloomington is an okay place. Um, there are some opportunities that can be there. And I think um, you, you just kind of have to get in where you fit in. So um, in and of itself, uh, you know, I don't know if Bloomington's a great place um, for people of color, but I think there's opportunity. And those of us that are here have got major way um, to make it a, a better place and then share with others so that that knowledge and, and that community, sense of community spreads out. Uh, but do we need a place like the whole? Um, I've given that some thought. And for, first of all, I don't think that'll ever be recreated. That was a different time in history. Um, and it served a serious need from the community standpoint. Um, but are there other methods uh, and other things to do? Um, there was three black gentlemen that I had breakfast with yesterday. And we were talking about uh, some of the um, the Gaza strip issues and some other things that's happening on campus and how do we talk to the administration maybe to let them know what the community is thinking and how do we work with that in the city so uh, and I think that's happening more and more than than we realize so that's probably taken some of the place of that gathering back then um but I'll just go on the record and say nothing will ever replace the Elks. <laughs> nothing will ever replace the whole. Um, uh, it helps me get to know even the black people in this community. That was one of the ways I got to know, you know, the Browns and the Norrises and, and all those folks. Um, but as Beverly said, you adapt. There, just, there is another way uh, to do some of those same things. It just won't be the same way, if that makes yeah. sense. Thank you. Beverly? Yeah, yeah, that's what I think. I, I, I was, So the hole was closed by the time I came to Bloomington, so I didn't get to experience it. But, you know, I think that when I look at the younger people that I work with today, that looking for a, a physical space to gather it does not really seem to be their priority. They're doing everything virtually, and then they show up, you know, where wherever things are. And I know there's a group called Blacks in Bloom, and it's, it's a lot of grad students and, and that age. And and so if they want to go volunteer to do something, they put it out on there and they show up. And so I think, you know, like Jim was talking about the adaptation um, to new ways of doing things, um, we, we just got to be ready to do that. Now, when I talk about somebody my age, would I like to go somewhere to be able to listen to music and hang out? Yeah, but, you know, can we sustain that financially? I, I doubt it. So, um, you know, we just have to have to figure it out and Liz, you just have to invite everybody to your house and come oh, over. Yeah. And you come over and have some collard greens whenever you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I do think we need to to sort of leave room for 
for think for change. I mean, change is inevitable. It's happening, and and you know, and I just I love seeing it. I love seeing how young people are still doing the work, but doing it a little bit differently. You know, yeah. so yeah, not doing it the way I did. It's interesting how you how you sort of um, assess that because are people really that social? anymore or are they social in different ways and you know See, i think they're social in different ways i yeah. i really do i i think they're still social i think that's just a a human need i mean people need sure. one another sure. and they need to be sure. social but i just think they do it differently yeah mm-hmm. you know in, go ahead Jeff. i was gonna say i agree um and i think um as i get older um i'll, I'll be 25 in a couple of days now, sure, sure. Um, but as i get older i think um, one of the roles is now to nurture and mentor those that are younger. Right, right. Um, yes. and we have a, a president of the NAACP and their style is definitely different than mine when I was president. But what can I do to nurture that person and mentor that person uh, uh, to help build relationships? And so that's how things have kind of changed from my standpoint. Um, and I'm happy to do the best I can in that area. Mm-hmm. All right. And I tell you what, I mean, Jim, I don't know if you've experienced it as well, it's it's sort of uh, interesting to be in that space where you're nurturing and mentoring people, you know, because if you were doing it, you would do it a particular way. And sometimes you just sort of have to say, okay, here's my best advice. Have at it, you know. Amen. And that's kind of difficult to do sometimes. It, it is. It's very difficult to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely. Clarence, you have a question? I, I do. And um, before I get to that question, I'm going to do our final ID. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Bring It On here on uh, WFHB's um, radio station. And we are having a, a wonderful conversation with uh, two of our pillars of Bring It On, actually. Uh, Jim Sims and Beverly Calendar Anderson, who have volunteered with us um, many years for many years and have brought their insight and brought themselves and insert themselves in conversations with people. Uh, some who've done outstanding things, some who've done somewhat suspect things. I mean, we've had a variety of different guests, but, uh, and they've also served well the city of Bloomington in various capacities. Jim, um, at, initially at IU for 31 years and residential programs and services division, and then Beverly Calendar Anderson for the city of Bloomington and the uh, uh, community and family resources department, both as uh, our safe and civil cities director, and then as the director of the department. Uh, one question I want to I want to ask Beverly was that position director of Safe and Civil Cities was that created for you? No, it was not created for me. That position was created back in, I think, around ninety nine or two thousand, okay. following the murder of Wan Jun Yoon on the steps of the uh, oh. Korean Methodist Church, mm-hmm. and it was a position that uh, Jeffrey Wilsey held for a year, uh, and then Marsha Bradford held for two years. I was the third director. So I was the longest serving right, uh, right. safe and civil city director, but no, it was not creative for me. Uh, Bloomington has seen a lot of incidents mm-hmm. that have placed us on the map. Uh, I think of Denver Smith, I think of uh, Young Junoon, I think of other things uh, that we have worked through and it hasn't always been easy. Uh, as you have traveled abroad, both of you to conventions, conferences, what do other municipalities think of Bloomington? I mean, once they get beyond, oh, hi, you. I mean, the, the city itself, what do, what do other groups think of Bloomington? I mean, it's something I'll say, and, I, and Jim, you can jump in if you think I'm wrong. Uh, but different places that I've been, 
Um, you know, Bloomington is a model to some people. I, I think about how much training we've done with um, showing people how to start a, a police department to have embedded social workers or our after hours ambassador program. Safe, the, the actual Safe and Civil City program is very unique for a municipality. It, um, you know, different uh, cities will have special events, but it's but special events with a purpose of you know, and, and that's and, and for us, it's the why it's not what we're doing or how we're doing it, but it's the why we're doing it. And so when we do Black History Month or we're doing uh, a health fair or running our commission of status of Black males or Hispanic and Latino affairs, it's the why and, it, and it's the giving people that voice. And so um, I we've done trainings around the country, um, even our Human Rights Commission person uh, or staff person has done trainings on how we do human rights, um, you know, how we how we address that, that as a commission. And so I think in that respect, especially smaller communities really look to us and, and how we do things. Now, I can't say the same for larger cities like a Cleveland or Chicago or right. anything like that, but um, a lot of small communities have looked to us. I would agree with that. Um, and I think, um, uh, first of all, what's recognized is Indiana University um, in my travels. Um, really recognized back when Coach Knight was the coach, and that, so that was uh, their uh, connection there. Um, but as you get to know more people and travel more, Bloomington, uh, those that know of it, is is thought of as a more liberal thinking community. Um, I almost said progressive, but I tend to not use that term very much anymore because um, I think. If we try to define it today, we probably have four different definitions between us four. So, um, but more liberal thinking. Um, I think um, our boards and commissions at local government, you know, uh, the Commission on the Status of Black Males, um, having people of color on the uh, Board of Public Safety. Um, there's others, I'm sure I forget, um, uh, Latina and Hispanic Affairs, if I, I probably got that incorrect. Mm -hmm. um, but those participatory uh, organizations, boards and commissions. I think people that have recognized Bloomington, it's more of a liberal thinking place. Um, I don't even like the, we're a blue dot in a red state. I mean, that may be true, but I don't even like that description. Um, but I would like to think that uh, people said, why do black people like blue or what makes Bloomington a, a good town for black folks? Uh, again, I'm not so sure that's the total case, but I think there's more liberal thinking um, throughout the city and throughout the fabric that may, that can help aid one's development and one's adjustment um, and even be more included, I think. Well, I, you know, this is Black History Month and uh, Beverly and Jim, especially Beverly, let's take a, we're just about ready to close this. The hour goes by so fast. Tell us, Beverly, tell the listening audience what's happening this month is just packed full of stuff. When I heard Shatoya and Dr. Glow describe, I said, I'm tired just listening to you. <laughs> Tell our listening audience what's happening this month. Well, there is a lot going on. There is a full calendar. I couldn't even cover it all if I wanted to. Um, but if you go to bloomington.in.gov slash BHM, there is a full calendar of events. And it's not just what the, the city administration is doing, but also Indiana University, the um, faith communities around town, the library, there are so many things that you can do to enhance your knowledge and education about the Black community in Bloomington and beyond Bloomington. Um, our theme this year is Blacks in Cinema, and there are 
wonderful programs on on uh, WTIU, WFIU uh, that will address some of that as well. So, um, but I will take this opportunity to plug our Black History Month Gala, which will be on February 24th at Willery Mill. And that is one of the ways that we end in a, in a big way. Um, and just to celebrate, to celebrate one another, to celebrate the fact that, you know, we are still here. Black people have been through a lot and we still standing, you know, and so that gala is is a way to to celebrate that. And so tickets are available at the Buskirk Chimley Theater for that event. Well, thank you, Beverly. Yes. One of the nights I'm looking forward to, and I hope Jim Sims will join me. That's karaoke night. Yeah. <laughs> let's, do, let's do car wash or, or one of those songs. They want you to go back and pick out a song from one of the movies back in the day. Jim, Jim Mitchell won't do it, but maybe Jim Sims will. Uh, yeah, maybe. I think Jim Mitchell, I think Jim Mitchell's got a point. Um, but one of the, the last things that I would like to say, um, and Beverly mentioned earlier, the land and labor acknowledgement. Um, and we start a lot of city meetings off with that and other groups to a certain extent are starting to use that. Um, and I think that was great. It acknowledges um, some of the land use and the labor that has taken place to get us to where we are. But I think it begs the question moving forward. For an example, the land that was taken or given up by the indigenous people, other than acknowledging that, what do you do with that now? Is there is there something to do with that moving forward? As, and I'm not so sure about a compensation or anything, but how do you deal with that moving forward? Um, the same thing with the labor acknowledgement. Um, if if a biggest part of our or a lot of our community was built on the backs of of uh, people of color and particularly enslaved labor, other than just acknowledging that, uh, what do you do with that moving forward? So just something for the, the, the broader community to think about as we have more discussions uh, moving forward. Sure. Go ahead. And I know that that we are are getting close to the end. And I just wanted to say, and, and I, I just feel compelled um, to say that were it not for a Laverta Terry, yes. a Reverend Ernest Butler, Mr. Snooky, James Hopkins, uh, Charlie Brown, if we're not for those people, Jim and I would not have the opportunity to be in the positions that we were in. And so I just want to yes. pay respect to them at this point because they opened, Jimmy Ross, you mentioned earlier, Jim, yes. they opened so many doors um, for Black people in this community. Uh, Elizabeth Bridgewaters. Okay, then when you start naming them, then you're going to yeah. miss it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but I hope one day somebody will look back and say, if it were not for Jim Sims and Beverly Callender Anderson, we would not be able to do what we're doing. And I think sure. that that would be, you know, recognition enough for, for me that we have opened doors and continue to open doors for people to move forward. Yeah, I have to, I have to agree with you on that because when I started making a list for the markers that I'd like to see in place, it, it has grown and it keeps growing. So I thought, okay, maybe everybody won't be have their name on a marker, but they wouldn't be included in a pamphlet. Yeah. I, yes. Yeah, we have to do, because there are so many and you just, you began that list with yeah. Liberta Terry and all of them. <laughs> yeah. And, you yes. know, I think about, you know, Jim Sin, when you're the first, what you've gone through, they were the first back in the sixties. Yes. I, I mean, they had to come home every night and go, I need me a little drink. Because I know what my husband and I went through in the 70s 
been the first, but back in the sixties, you know, it was still a free for all then, you know, your life was in danger because you took a job. So yes. Yeah. Kudos to those people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Clarence. And I would be remiss if I did not say that uh, we know whose shoulders we stand on. Uh, you two have brought the prestige to this program. Um, if you listen to our intro music and our outro music, you'll hear their voices there. Uh, Throughout eternity, you will hear their voices as they introduce and say goodbye <laughs> to this show. But nevertheless, uh, that's in some way, that's our way of paying homage to both uh, Jim, to you and to them. Uh, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And, Absolutely. Uh, and uh, thank you also for agreeing to come back and uh, work with us again in the future. I, I really appreciate oh, thank that. Thank you. This has been a great conversation. Yeah. <laughs> it really has. And if oh. you want to knock down some walls, you got to bring a hammer, baby. There you go. There you, go. <laughs> All right. you, you made that moniker famous here. I'll bring it on. So with that, on that note, on that note. Um, and I like the, the healthy tension that Jim and I have had on the radio over the years. And I, and I really, I miss that. Um, nothing we, but love, but I don't acknowledge, love. well, your time over the course of this, you've been the real constant right from yes. day one. And I think um, we'll give you some love in that regard as well. So thank you, Clarence. Right. And yes, you can write that check and Clarence. make that check payable to Clarence. Okay. So we do <laughs> want to thank our civic icons, Jim Sims and Beverly Calder Anderson. I've given you all a lot of big accolades throughout this hour and I mean it but I want, we want to thank our civic icons Jim Sims and Beverly Counter Anderson for joining us to discuss their remarkable tenure of service uh, to the city of Bloomington and to bring it on bring it on has an open submission policy so if you have an idea for this program let's hear it send an email to our volunteer staff we want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address is bringiton at wfhb.org. Our show's executive producer is yours truly. Our assistant producer is Liz Mitchell. Our consultant, WFHB News Department Director is Kate Young. And our program engineer, Chantal LaPontan. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Clarence Boone. And I'm Liz Mitchell. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.